Welcome back to Page of the Wind, the daily podcast where we read a page of the wise man's fear and then we talk about it. This is page 668. You haven't shown me waves upon lilies yet. That will come later then. She put her flat hand back in the water between us, then sighed softly, her eyes going halfway closed. Ah, she said, oh. Eventually, the fish emerged from their hiding places again. My most distractible owl, Lurian said, not unkindly. She dove to the bottom of the pool and returned holding a smooth round stone. Attend you now to what I say. You are the mortal I, the fay. Here is the moon, she said, tucking the stone between our palms and lacing our fingers together to hold it. She is tethered tight to both the fay and mortal night. Valerian stepped forward and pressed the stone against my chest. Thus moves the moon, she said, tightening her fingers around mine. Now when I look above, there is no glimmer of the light I love. Instead, all like a flower unfurled, her face shines on your mortal world. She stepped back so our arms were straight with our clasped hands between us. Then she pulled the stone toward her chest, dragging me through the water by my hand. Now all your mortal maidens sigh, for she is fully in my sky. I nodded, understanding. Beloved by both the fay and men, our moon's a merry wanderer, then. Florian shook her head. Not so. A traveler, yes, a wanderer, no. She moves, but cannot freely go. I heard a story once, I said, about a man who stole the moon. Florian's expression went solemn. She unlaced her fingers from mine and looked down at the stone in her hand. That was the end of it all, she sighed. Until he stole the moon, there was some hope for peace. I was stunned by the matter-of-fact tone in her voice. What? I asked dumbly. The stealing of the moon. She cocked her head at me, puzzled. You said you knew of it? I said I'd heard a story, I said. But it was a silly thing, not a story of what truly was. It was a... It was the sort of story that you tell a child. She smiled again. You may call them fairy stories. I know of them. They are fancies. We tell our children manling tales betimes. But the moon was truly stolen, I asked. That was no fancy. Valerian scowled. This I have been showing you, she said, bringing her hand down in an angry splash. I found myself making the Adam gesture for apology below the surface of the water before realizing it was doubly pointless. I'm sorry, I said, but without the truth of the story, I am lost. I beg of you to tell me it. And that's the page. I'm Nick, and I'm back. I'm Jordana. Oh. And I'm Jeremy, and it's good to have you back. Indeed. We're so glad that you aren't lost in Faye. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm glad I got back in time for the cunnilingus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? That would be a terrible shame to miss. Okay, wait, so that's what <laughs> Nick thinks Waves Upon Lilies is? Well, you know, so she closes her eyes and says, ah and oh, and then the fish have to hide because there's a uh, a commotion, shall we say. Well, Nick, Nick is missing the context of the previous page where she stops both from staring at her breasts by getting him to put his hand on one and telling him to do something. Yeah, but I'm sure there's, I'm sure his hands are busy, but his, his the rest of him is doing something else. Anyway, like all the best stuff in this uh, sequence, it's better when you imagine it. I also feel like I should take back what I said the other day about floaty boobs because I ended up going swimming later that night and... It they're just not maybe it's because I was wearing a swimsuit, but boobs are not as floaty as I thought they were. <laughs> Listeners, you gotta write in and tell us what you think about the phenomenon of floaty boobs. <laughs> so one thing that I had mentioned 
on our previous pages is that this is a sequence that features a whole lot of of poetry and that poetry starts on this page when Valerian starts to tell him a story and she she almost calls attention to it the way that you would call the attention to like a speech in a an old-timey Elizabethan play or like the beginning of an epic poem attend you now to what I say you are the mortal I the fae and then the verse starts right and it's it's not just rhyming it's in I think it's an iambic pentameter or at least it's in iams here is the moon. She's tethered tight to both the Fae and mortal night. This is the meter. It's worth mentioning. I know you, you, we've probably mentioned this before, but this is the same meter that Shakespeare's fairies speak in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shakespeare's yes. fairies don't speak in, or sorry, Shakespeare's dialogue generally isn't in perfect rhyme. Scenes often end with a couplet, but generally they're, they're in iambic pentameter, but not in perfect rhyme. But the supernatural, the witches and the, uh, the fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream do speak in this, in this, uh, rhyming uh, i am's same style as uh, as same style and meter as Fullerian is speaking that is such a good way to evoke because Fullerian is of a piece with a being like oberon or titania these proud powerful haughty beings that are like forces of nature so that's obviously an apt comparison quoth consciously or unconsciously starts doing it too he takes part and then it's not the first time nor the last no no not at all if it's because he's vibing with her or maybe is is it because he has some fey in him yeah or is it just that he is such a natural musician and poet that he can't help himself um and maybe those things are all intertwined maybe they're all the same answer but that pattern is broken when Quoth says, I heard a story once about a man who stole the moon, that kind of breaks the spell. Why do we think that is? I think it's because it's it's not nice for Felurian. It's not like a fun thing. She's, she's teaching him something uh, foundational about the nature of the world, uh, about her world. And maybe that's why it calls the couplets, because it's, it's a, you know, a piece of true knowledge presented uh in you know it's a piece of true magic presented by true magic but then the spell as you say is broken because the interjection of jacks or eaks or whoever this person was and the theft of the moon is not pleasant and not natural yeah that's possible jordana do you have any thoughts on this i will bed sit for this one <laughs> typical. typical i know i'm sorry i i yeah uh, no, I have I have no feelings different from the feelings that you've already stated on this particular factoid. Do you have additional feelings on anything else on this page? I mean, other than just like I think that certain parts of it are are lovely, but it's not really like nothing important, nothing terribly important. Why do you think he reverts to uh, the Adam hand sign at this moment? I think he's gotten proficient enough with Edemic that he uses it to spice up his his natural speaking. Like now he's doing it by instinct, which I think is interesting. I was thinking that maybe because Ademic is a language that he's not, like, he's not super fluent in it, but he also associates it as being, like, not his natural. So, if he's having trouble describing something, it makes sense 
that he would think like that he would like auto go to like what is not my norm because Valerian is also not his norm. Does that make sense? That's kind of my read too. Yeah, that's my read too, Jordana, is that uh, there's like a cultural gap and his kind of um, his muscle memory or his cultural muscle memory of late has been uh, edemic when trying to bridge a cultural gap. And so that's why he falls back into it. It's like uh, when I was in Italy recently, I kept on accidentally starting to speak Spanish because uh, in addition yeah, to the language yeah, yeah. being close. You know, Just like uh, that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that that's my read on it here. That he's he, th- him trying to get this answer out of Fulurian is closer to there being a language barrier or a cultural barrier than uh, than just like a barrier of understanding. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps. And either way, it's a good bit of writing by Rothfuss because it it communicates something about the nature of the conversation. Uh, without telling us what that is exactly. And it's also a little bit of uh, business, as you like to say, Jeremy. Mm. You got to give characters business. I mean, it also just does remind us that that was a thing he was learning. I think it's easy when a character ends up in another world for several chapters, totally divorced from the context that they were previously in. It can be helpful to remind us like, Hey, don't forget quote. This is also a thing that's happening in Quoth's life right now. That is important. Before we, we finish, is there any other thoughts on the page? I'm good. We have been talking a lot about the myth of the moon and the idea that the moon exists both in Fey and in the mortal world, but it is not until this moment in the book that that is actually uh, told to us the reader we've just been operating on that knowledge because we've read this book before yes and we are we're given a demonstration where between quoth and Felurian, it's literally pulled back and forth there's literally yeah. a tug happening as it goes to one and then the other mm-hmm. i'm sure there's something relevant in that metaphor so my my final question is uh jeremy are you going to uh go and track down the the one criminal who got away before you became a, a hard-bitten detective and were forced to hang up your badge and gun? He haunts my nights. He appears when I close my eyes. One day, one day I'll take him down. But until that day, it's just me and this bottle of Jack. You can visit us at our tiny studio apartment where we operate our private detective business on tomorrow's page. Of... <laughs> the... Wait. Wait. Wait.